Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. Since contributing to Charity Chat for the last few years, I've been uh, I've met so many interesting people who do so much for others, and it was a real pleasure speaking to Usman Muggle, who is in this episode uh, clearly a very passionate. Uh, enthusiastic person about the work that he does to help refugees in Jordan. I met Usman a few months ago at a charity event in London and we very quickly put the small talk aside and ventured into discussions around charities supporting refugees. When he told me that he had worked in refugee camps in the Middle East, I knew you, the listener, would want to hear more about his experiences, so I asked him to come to the show And uh, this is what we've got coming up. Uh, We'll be talking about overcoming cynicism and donor fatigue. We spoke about the need to dispel the myths and biases around refugees that we often see perpetuated in Western media coverage. Uh, There's a brief mention of details of the camps, which some listeners may find upsetting. If there are young children within earshot, you may wish to keep this for later or pop in your headphones. But for now, here's Usman Mughal and I talking about his work with refugees. I'm here with uh, Usman Mughal. How's it going? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being on the show. So we're in a, once again, we're in a fairly noisy cafe, uh, but I think our listeners will be able to understand what we're talking about anyway. And uh, we're here today to, obviously you work in the charity sector, this is how we met. But what we're talking about today is the work that you do, the volunteering that you do specifically. What kind of volunteering are you doing? So I'm mainly doing humanitarian volunteering. Um, So in April of this year, I travelled to Jordan. Wow. And we went there as a group to support the Syrian refugees um, in the country. Um, Of course, the Syrian refugee crisis started in 2011 after the Syrian civil war. And that started in, as I've said, 2011, mm-hmm. and it's currently in its eighth year at the moment. And in July of 2012, just to give a bit of background, the Zatari refugee camp opened. Um, that's very close to the Syrian border, um, and it currently houses 80,000 people, and it's continuously growing. Yeah. Um, of course, the 80,000 is only an estimate, yeah. um, and we can't really be sure of the, the original figure. Um, so I think it's really important to understand the scale before we kind of delve a bit deeper. Absolutely, because that's incredible, isn't it? 80,000 people. Absolutely. I suppose you think 80,000 people, you think of a large town, yeah. don't you? Or even a small city. Yeah. And that's the, that's the scale. Absolutely, the scale is huge. And yeah. it's quite important to note that before 2011, Syria's population was 23 million. Right. So if you consider that in terms of the actual population of Syria, yeah. it, it shows the scale of the problem. And um, the International Rescue Committee, so it's an organisation that's led by David Miliband. So since 2011, when the war started in Syria, um, their organisation has quoted that there's 400,000 lives that have been lost, 13.1 million people in need of aid, Mm -hmm. and now over two-thirds of Syrians now live in extreme poverty. So you can just understand the scale of the problem, and I think the reason why I decided to volunteer is we won't be able to solve the Syrian crisis um, because it's very complex, it has a lot of geopolitical problems but what we are able to do is touch people's lives and change and make their lives a little bit better. Okay. Um, So that's one of the reasons why I decided to volunteer. 
matter. I mean, was it just solely seeing it on the news? I mean, a lot of people, most people, probably around 2000 and 2012, yeah. saw the news reports, the regular news reports about Syria. So is that where you first heard about it? Originally, yes. Yeah. Um, and I also am, remember feeling how helpless you can feel in that situation. Yeah. You're thousands and thousands of mile, miles away from the conflict. Mm. And I think in today's world, it's very easy to feel cynical and helpless. Yeah. We live in a society where constantly we're bombarded with news of negative media, mm. uh, negative headlines. Yeah. And it's very easily, we tend to feel very helpless. Yeah. But me and a few friends um, decided to go over there um, to ensure that we can do something productive yeah. and make an impact. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it probably wasn't, you know, so great. But actually, what we learned and what we took away for it, we're able to come back here, mm. share the news, yeah. share the stories of people that we uh, met with, what we've spoken to, yeah. and try to um, ensure that people understand mm. what it is to be a refugee. Because I think there's so many myths around refugees sure. um, populated in many countries across Europe. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we get that image of refugees right. Mm. Um, I spoke to so many refugees when I was out there because um, it was a good opportunity to do so yeah. and what I learned is I asked a few of them would you like to come to Europe and start your life afresh and many many of them said no actually I would love to go back to Syria and start my life sure. um, so many of them want to go back to Syria um, and want to continue their lives we have to remember that they're refugees mm. but back home in Syria where they're, where they're originally from they had so many professions, so they were doctors, they were lawyers, yeah. they had everything going for them in life mm -hmm. and over the course of a few weeks, of a few months, their lives were torn apart, yeah. you know, they, they've lost family members, mm. you know, we met many orphans who've lost both of their parents, mm. so it just goes to show that we need to dispel the myth around what it is to be a refugee. Because it, it, is it because you feel that there are, there are a lot of biases and negative biases that people have about refugees mm -hmm. and, uh, and stereotypes I suppose that maybe prevent people from feeling empathy or feeling or wanting to support you know people in this situation. Exactly and I think um, most people I've spoken to since I've been back are very mm. sympathetic to the cause yeah. and they really want to know how to help but unfortunately they don't understand how to do that yeah. and I think charities particularly that work in this sector can do a better job of telling people how they can help um, and I think part of the job as a fundraiser is to ensure that you get the donor and the beneficiary and make sure they have a connection yeah. and I think charities need to do a better job at that. going out there, you and your friends going out to help the refugees. Yeah. Was there a charity then that, that helped you to kind of figure out where to go and how to get there and, and then kind of supported you in, in helping? Yeah, absolutely. People? So I went with a small uh, local charity based in East London. Right. Um, they were very well run. Yeah. Um, I'd done many volunteering events with them before, so I trusted them. Yeah. And the way they worked, they were very transparent, they were very honest, they were very clear in terms of what they wanted us to achieve. Sure. Um, so at the beginning, we were told we have a fundraising target of around £3,000 each. Okay. And this would go to the numerous projects that we would support out there, which I'm sure we'll touch on a, a bit sure, later absolutely. on. Sure, absolutely, yeah. And before we went over, we got a briefing document and it explained all of the things that we would do on each day. 
okay. very clear. So when I was fundraising, it was very clear to me when I was asking people for donations, mm. what that money would go and support. Right, okay. So it was very clear from very early on. And were the kinds of things on this list, so I suppose, because there could be a double value there in the sense of then you're telling your donors, yep. for the sake of another term, um, about the, the kinds of things they will be helping you to do. Yep. Was there an aspect though as well of, of them supporting you because they realise what a thing you're undertaking, that there's this big challenge, you know, this kind of list of very challenging yeah. things that you're going to be doing? And yeah. I think um, a lot of people that I asked donations for, they, you know, gave donated a lot more than I originally thought they would. Mm. Um, and it was incredible to see the amount of support that we got. Yeah. Um, that was very encouraging for us. But a number of the projects that we, we went to people with was um, one of them was the Syrian Birth Clinic. Right. So it was set up a few years ago and it's based uh, very close to the Syrian border. Right. The reason why it was set up is because women do not get um, monthly checkups okay. during their pregnancy. Sure. And obviously they have no medical expertise to check whether their baby is doing okay or whether their health is okay. Right, okay. So the Syrian birth clinic was created to ensure that women come, that come over from Syria yeah. um, are able to get routinely checked up to ensure them and their baby is safe. Right, but okay. also the delivery of the baby is safe. One of the things that they did was they monitor the baby's health, they monitor the mother's health right. to ensure that both are doing fine. Yeah. And the reasons for it is because some of them, some of the mothers had to give birth on the side of the road. On the side of the road? Yeah, and at wow. refugee camps where hygiene is poor and that's yeah. no way to bring your child into the world. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very specialist centre yeah. with qualified doctors and nurses um, that we met. Yeah. They have two clinics and they also have a blood test room. So emergency blood tests need to be taken, they can be. Wow. Um, the only problem is the blood test part of the centre has been closed down due to lack of funds. Oh, I see. Um, but the clinic itself is still running and those same doctors do go out to the refugee camps as well to monitor the child's health after they're born as well. Yeah. I mean, that really hits home for me yeah. because I've, we've recently had a baby, my wife and I, and when I think of all the stress and the worry and the anxiety, and we that's here, you know, where we've got access to hospitals and doctors and midwives and all this kind of stuff. The, the you know, and even now he's been born, all this checking up and there's that. But even then, you know, that's it's kind of stressful. But with yeah, this is just a different. It's a different world, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Really, and yeah. It's, and it points to kind of the picture of what type of society, what type of world we want to live in. Absolutely. And I think being able to provide a mother. Um, access to that kind of support is vitally important mm. but we know that if the baby has after that has got good education yeah has access to good healthcare which is a number of the other projects that we went to support right that they are much likely to be better in their life mm. and we cannot solve the refugee crisis on our own no but what we can do is we can support young children yeah young families yeah to ensure that they live as good as life as possible, mm, to ensure mm. that they get the healthcare that they deserve. Um, and I think what one of the things it's taught me is perspective. Yeah. Because we have a world-class healthcare system in the UK. We have the NHS. And I know it's a very British thing to do to 
campaign about the NHS. Of course. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue campaigning for a better NHS. Yeah. That doctors and nurses get, you know, paid well. Mm. But we should also sit back and say, at least we have access to a world-class healthcare system. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when I visited Jordan in the camps, there was limited healthcare. Mm. But because of the demand is so high, you know, everyone gets access to that type of healthcare that they need. Sure. Um, so we didn't... So many of the other camps that we went to were there were a few camps. So there were Al Mafrak, yeah, Jerosh, yeah, and Gaza camp right. that we visited. Um, Gaza camp was different because Gaza camp housed Palestinian refugees. And was this in Gaza? This is still in Jordan, was this it? This was still in Jordan. Okay. But it's called the Gaza camp because. Um, it's mainly populated by Palestinian refugees. Because Jordan is situated, I remember I went there a few years ago, and it's, it's situated between Israel, Syria, well it shares a border doesn't it, yes. with Israel and yes. Syria, and Iran or Iraq? Iraq. Iraq. So, um, right, so it's, yeah, and, and I, I remember hearing on news reports things like that Jordan has had a, a, a huge proportion of uh, refugees from Syria and also from Palestine That's as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. reason why we visited these smaller camps that are less well known is because the Tari refugee camp has yeah. 80,000 refugees. Sure. And a lot of the larger organisations we know from this country go over and give support. Right. So Oxfam, for example. Yeah. But these smaller camps do not get the same level of support. Okay. A lot of them are closer to the Syrian border, mm. so the less the frail cannot get over to Zatari. Okay. And so they have to stay in these camps. Okay. And that's why we visited these camps. Yeah. Because they're still in need. Yeah. They still deserve to have access to all the other facilities as any other refugee. Mm. But yet they don't get that support. Right, so we okay. made it a conscious effort. Yeah. Although it was more difficult to get access to these camps, mm. that we went there to support. Um, for example, we gave out 200 food packs on the last day. Right. And doing that logistically is quite difficult, but travelling to these camps where they're basically in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. We were basically about 30 seconds from the Syrian border at one point. Blimey. So actually getting to those camps is quite difficult. Yeah. And dangerous? Not dangerous, no. not at all. Because um, you're still in Jordan, aren't you? Yeah, because yeah. since I've come back, I've told that story a few times to people that donated, and they said, oh, was it dangerous? For us, it wasn't dangerous at all. Yeah. The organisation we went with, we were very lucky that our team leader was an ex-army man. Okay. He was very well known within Jordan. Yeah. Very well respected. Yeah. And I think that made it easy for us um, to travel to some parts of Jordan that we perhaps wouldn't have done. Mm, mm. We didn't have that level of local knowledge and networking. Yeah, and that's absolutely. really important when you're going out there. Is of course, you're, you're going into a situation which is very dangerous. Yeah. But it's, it's important to realise why you're doing it. Mm. But it's also important to understand that you have good local knowledge and experts that know when to do um, an aid programme to certain. Right. Um, certain parts of the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I say, that local knowledge is key, isn't it? Because I suppose anywhere, you know, it could be potentially a bit dangerous, regardless of whether it's near a you know, conflict zone or not. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's always useful. So, yeah, going out with a, with a known charity that have, you know, good logistics and presumably good risk assessments and all this kind of stuff of and course. support. Yeah, yeah that's really yeah. important. Yeah. You can't 
can never mentally prepare yourself mm. to go into that situation. Yeah. So previously I'd been to Calais, which was an eye-opener. This was the jungle in Calais, was That's it? That's correct. So yeah. a couple of years ago, the jungle was burnt down, Yeah. as we know, and therefore many refugees dispersed around Calais. Sure. Um, but that gave me some sort of insight into kind of what to expect. Mm. But I think the scale on which I saw the refugee crisis in Jordan was totally different. Mm. The scale was far worse, but also there were many more children mm. in Jordan. So the camps we went to, we saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of refugees. Yeah. And I estimate around 70, 75% of the people we saw were under the age of 20. Blimey. The majority I interacted with, I spoke to, were under the age of 20. Yeah. And it just kind of reinforced to myself that a whole a whole generation of Syrians yeah. are being denied the opportunities we have in this country mm. just because of the time they were born. Mm. Mm. And that's quite difficult, that's quite difficult to take. Yeah. As, uh, as people in this sector, we're very passionate about working to have change in the world and being yeah. positive change was quite difficult to take. So what you have to do is, I think, understand the things that are not in our control. Mm. We're not in control of the political situation. No. We're not in control of the economic situation. No. But we can go over, mm. obviously, if you can, and if you have the time to do so. Not everyone can, I appreciate that. But I think it's a great learning experience for, for yourself as well, mm. because you do when you come back, tend to look at life a bit differently. Yeah. And yeah. you gain that perspective. Absolutely. Um, I think that's really important. Any volunteering here, you know, other parts of the yeah. world, um, certainly any volunteering that I've done, I've always had that sense of perspective, as you say, yeah. and, you know, understanding, getting a kind of a, maybe a deeper meaning of what life is. I mean, it's yeah. a philosophical point, but, no, you know, that, that sense of, you know, what are we here to do, you know, and helping one another and the benefits you can feel from helping people. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And even as fundraisers, mm. I'm a trust fundraiser. So, so, you know, some days I sit at my desk writing out proposals. Sure. But actually, we mustn't forget that when we shouldn't lose attachment to what we're fundraising for. Absolutely. And you yeah. know, this is a humanitarian cause, but whatever the cause, we must go and visit mm. the beneficiaries that we're working for at the end of the day, we're serving them. Yeah. And that's, I think, an important way to look at it. Mm. Um, and I think as a fundraiser, we need to be aware of that when we're doing our corporate pitches to organizations, whether we're doing trust proposals, whether we're trying to um, get a major donor on board. Yeah. Whatever the audience, we must remember who we're doing it for and why we're doing it. Absolutely. And the difference it's going to make in their life. If a charity can convey why a volunteer gives up their time and potentially their money, I mean, you were fundraising as well as volunteering, weren't you? Then, uh, then that can be really powerful to other people that might then want to support the charity. Did the charity you volunteered for yeah. and fundraised for, did they kind of take on board some of the things you were saying, some of your feedback and yeah. use that? I think that's really important in the charity sector. I think celebrating volunteers mm. and making them at the same level as employees. Yeah. Because volunteers um, are doing fantastic work and a mm. lot of charities won't be able to run without their volunteers. Absolutely. Volunteers keep charities running. Yeah. They offer a different sense of perspective also. Yeah. And I think as employees of, of a charity, I think sometimes we can talk to one another. Mm. 
but we're based and we're working for that charity where sometimes volunteers have an outside perspective and Absolutely. a new way of looking at things and yeah. while they may be involved in certain projects you know they have a different perspective of things mm. because they might be a lawyer or an accountant at a different in a different sector yeah. but when they come to volunteer for the organization they may look at certain projects in a different way mm. so when we were out there we were encouraged um, an organization I went with encouraged us to think how we can make the service that we provide refugees better right so we thought it's really important and this was in the charity thinking as well it's really important to do the short-term aid work mm. it's important that people are fed yeah. it's important that their immediate healthcare needs are taken care of yeah, yeah. but it is as important to build the sustainability projects too absolutely because the refugee crisis started in mid of 2011 yeah and it's be, it's in its eighth year now yeah and it shows no real signs of letting up mm, mm. so actually what we must do is not just go out there and deliver aid and come back but actually go there deliver sustainable projects yeah that benefit the refugees for many years to come mm. so for example mm. just a small example when we were out there we planted olive and lemon trees for the refugees yeah it might seem like a small thing but actually that will be a source of income mm. in the next year or so mm. for the refugees but it will also provide the nutrition right and obviously nutrition is a major concern absolutely especially for young people because it was highly populated by young people yeah, yeah. so that's just a small example where the short-term aid is important mm. but we must look at the bigger picture and understand that there must be sustainable projects in place yeah. to ensure that we really look at what the need is going mm. forward mm. and try to build that into, into our work. What is important to bear in mind is that it's not only the Syrian refugee crisis, yeah. it's also the refugees in Myanmar in Rohingya mm. that have been persecuted Absolutely, for yeah. decades yeah. Um, and we've seen recently on the news that you know, many of them have been killed, mm. um, women have been raped mm. so actually there's, it's not only Syria but it's also in Myanmar, it's also in other parts of the, the world, in Calais yeah. on our doorstep yeah. so actually it's all over the world and I think you're absolutely right in saying that we must take an incremental approach mm. like I said before we won't be able to solve these crises because they have deep roots yeah you know and depending on what part of the world they are from mm. and in um, that changes the perspective yeah but at the same time organizations I think must also get better working together so we must have a collective effort to try to address some of these issues Absolutely. Um, and it is quite difficult because the environment that you're working in is not easy mm. when we went out there we had we were quite lucky in the fact that we were led by somebody who was very well known in Jordan sure but there were still kind of blockages or potential blockages that other people may have faced going out and supporting refugees right um, and were they kind of political blockages or were they the various things so some of the local people yeah were very hesitant for us to kind of go into the refugee camps okay um, and that could be for a whole host of reasons but lucky we were able to go in, not only deliver the aid, but just to talk to them for five, ten minutes. And yeah. that's not a huge amount of time. Yeah. But actually, there's something about just listening yeah. and yeah. listening to the people that are suffering and just being understanding what they're going through. Mm. Um, on one of the days, what we did was 
because we we wanted yes we want to deliver projects but we also wanted to talk to the people because yeah. you know we we mentioned all these statistics about how big the problem is yeah but actually it's very important to get behind those numbers mm. and understand the individuals behind those numbers so one of the things we did was we visited um, a couple of homes right and they were orphans yeah and we took them to the local market. So there were no adults in these in these homes. There were there were a few adults, so okay. they were looking after but them. They, they were guardians. But they weren't there. They weren't there. Parents. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we took them to the local market. It was a trip out for them. Oh wow! Um, we bought them things that they wouldn't normally have on an everyday basis. Yeah. We came back. Um, we delivered that food to the homes, yeah. but we also spent time with them. Mm. Sat down, had a conversation with them, and yes, we heard very harrowing stories. Yeah one girl who was around 14 years old she lost her father three or four months prior to, to the conversation we had yeah. and it was still very raw for her um, but what I went what I came back with is the, to understand the true meaning of resilience mm. the fact that these people have been through indescribable pain yeah. they've had their lives affected mm. they've seen their family members killed They've had to re-establish themselves in another country altogether. Yeah. They don't have. Some of them don't have parents. Some of them don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah. And yet they're able to get up. They're able to smile, mm. and they welcome you with open arms. Mm. So on one of the days, it was a day actually when we planted the lemon and olive trees. We were invited into the home yeah. of a family. Yeah. And we just they offered us tea. So it's very traditional in um, the Middle East when you go to somebody's house they offer you tea sure um, you sit not down not like here some ways exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly and they offered us tea we just had a so it was UK volunteers it was volunteers from Syria yeah and also the family we just sat down and had a nice conversation mm. and you think these people have nothing yeah they've lost you know a lot in their lives they're still open to open their arms mm. to strangers they've only met about an hour or two ago yeah How did it affect you and the other volunteers? Because I'd imagine that, you know, I'm... Sometimes I think, you know, I'm kind of... I'm quite thick-skinned and quite tough. But, you know, to even hearing you talking about it, you know, I, I, can, I can only imagine how it must have felt to be there and to see the... I know you say, you know, people are still able to smile and things like that, but knowing what they've been through, I mean, that must be very challenging for you and the other volunteers. Did you yeah. take any of that on? Was there a... It is, it is challenging because realize that you could have been in that situation mm. if you were born um, in Syria yeah. in 2011 yeah and you have to remember some of these children have only known the Syrian civil sure. war sure yeah they're, they're, some of them are eight nine years old and they were born into a civil war they don't yeah. haven't really lived a childhood no and yeah that can be you know quite challenging to take mm. but at the end of the day I think it's really important to understand why you're doing it yeah um, and get that sense of perspective and to go out there and try to support as much as you can and I don't think it's I don't think you should keep that in if yeah. you're feeling um, if you're feeling um, like it's a difficult situation you should talk to the other volunteers around sure, you sure. you should talk to you know your team leader and say you know you're finding this a bit challenging yeah but we had a really good group and um, the emotions of it too because yeah. I, I know what uh, I was a Samaritan listener for a few years in a voluntary right. capacity and well they all are and uh, 
there was a there was a mechanism that we had there to offload to people, you know, after a shift because it could be quite emotionally taxing, and that was really useful. Did you have something like that, or was it just a natural sharing? Um, yeah, of we had a general at the end of each day. We went back to the hotel and had a debrief meeting. Okay, right. So it was half an hour, forty-five minutes, just to everyone to discuss what's happened during the day. Right. How it's affected you, what you've learned. Um, I think for me, um, it wasn't. You know, the emotional part was fine for me. Right. And I, I think the reason for that is because, you know, when I was younger, um, I travelled to Pakistan, I travelled to other parts of the world that are underdeveloped. Right. And I've, I've yeah. seen poverty from a young age, and okay. I've been exposed to that. Um, so I. So it made it a bit not easier that's the wrong word but you kind of realize that it's unfortunate but it is the reality in the world sure I think and it may have been more shocking to other people i yeah, suppose I the think wind's we're out. cushioned i think we're cushioned here in this yeah. country we have everything going for us we have sure. like i've said excellent healthcare service we have a world-class education mm. so i think in some way we are cushioned from it and we only hear it through the news yeah and i think sometimes that can just wash over us because there's so much coming at any single time and it's not Absolutely. because we don't want to take it in no it's just because there's so much of it we it's don't fatigue know it's isn't it we yeah. get that that marketing fatigue or that media fatigue yeah. anything that i've learned from my trips to Cali um, and in jordan as well is that these are just general normal people like you and me yeah you know they're born in syria mm. or jordan Mm. We're born here in the UK, but actually what we want out of life is the same. If you yeah. boil it down to just the very simple level, mm. but they want a good life and they want their children to have even even better life than they have had. Absolutely. It's really as simple as that. And, and that's a very human thing, isn't exactly. it? I mean, we all want that, yeah. really. And I think some of the ne negative stereotypes are definitely not warranted. Mm. They're completely false. And I think part of the reason for kind of doing this podcast was to kind of move away from that myth of yeah. what refugees are but also kind of empower people to learn more about the refugee crisis absolutely and to empower themselves to speak about it to their family or their friends mm. and try to really get the word out there and and try and and try and help in, the, in similar yeah. ways to you or other ways because yeah. i know that you know there were still petitions to sign yeah. there are still um donations you yeah. can make to different organizations um, and we can put some of those organisations up on the website. If you feel that you can do it, I would definitely recommend the experience. Yeah. Because it's not only what you learn from the experience, it's, it motivates you to do more, so mm. it doesn't stop here. You, yeah. don't, you can't solve the refugee crisis in one trip of a week, um, but we're aiming with a few friends to travel out again to Myanmar, mm. in Bangladesh, Burma, to try to do same support. You say you're going, you're going to do that, are you? Yeah. Oh, wow, so okay. the next couple of months we're planning it at the moment. Wow. Um, and is this with the same organisation that you went it's out? It's with a different organisation. Different organisation, so okay. what, what I'm planning to do, and I think it's really important to, is to go with different charities. Yeah. To understand how they work on the ground. Okay. And to understand the differences between um, Burma mm. and Jordan. And of course the need will be similar, i.e. healthcare needs, for yeah. example. Yeah. But actually to understand how that is different on the ground yeah. and what provisions are currently being made for them mm. and where the gaps of provisions are. Sure. So hopefully further down the line, 
I and the friends that I had volunteered with had been in a position to try to meet that gap vision mm. or work with other organisations to do it. Okay. So it's not, I would definitely recommend it, but it's got a short term plan, it's very yeah. much for the long term. Yeah. It does hook you in, because I've yeah. met many people since I've been back that have travelled for years and years and years yeah. to Syria, to Burma, to Calais. Yeah. And actually, it does motivate you to do more because you realise the great things that these people have achieved mm. in the sense that they're supporting the most vulnerable in the world and it makes you realise that you need to do more and you mustn't just stand still. Even within the refugee camps, there were slightly different levels um, of standards of living, right. which surprised me. Yeah. So there were some camps which were with in, in different camps with different or yeah, just yeah. even within one camp even within one camp okay. but more so between the camps yeah there were quite different standards of living okay um, but I use that term loosely standards of living yeah I think some were at least proper structures sure whereas others were living in tents right um, so I found found that quite I wasn't expecting that yeah but some were living in tents and we had nothing whereas others were living in at least some stable accommodation okay but I think the reason for that is priority was given to those that had young children sure and those that were you know 30 40 years old mm. that had generally good health yeah um, stayed in the tents right because right. the temperatures out there must be you know I know we've, we've got a heat wave here in the UK yeah, I'm not trying to make yeah. light of it but, but just as a comparison I mean you know people around here complaining and struggling with 30 degrees but out there it's, it can be considerably warmer it was and um, when we went there it was around 35 40 degrees every day Blimey. so it was very hot it was very humid yeah um, and it was difficult for us but i think one thing that we agreed to do as a group before we went out was never to complain right um, because we knew at the end of the day that we would go home to the hotel room yeah whereas that was their, their environment for, for I don't know how long. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really, really good that you bring up the weather because when I was in Calais, so we went in the middle of December of last year. Right. And on the two days we went, on the, sun, on the Saturday it didn't snow, but on the Sunday it snowed. Right. And we stayed in the snow for about six hours outside and we were basically frozen. So the team we went with were frozen. Wow. But we knew we couldn't complain because at the end of the day, no matter how hard we found it, we knew that we were back on the Eurotunnel in a couple of hours time yeah, yeah, yeah. off home and these refugees would have to sleep in that snow because yeah. obviously the, the jungle environment was not there. No. And I don't like putting it in jungle because it doesn't have... Because it was termed the jungle yeah. by the media, but I suppose that in of itself yeah, suggests it something them, doesn't it? does dehumanise them, doesn't them it? As That's human right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hesitant to use that. I think most people do want to help, genuinely want to help. Um, but I think sometimes we have a very busy life. And, and it can seem overwhelming, can't yeah. it? And I, I think, you know, the, that sense of where do you start, you yeah. know, when you see Again, looking at the media reports, I think millions, millions of refugees coming into Europe from you know, war-torn countries and countries where there's, you know, these terrible things happening. You think, 
what can I do? What, what could I possibly do to make any impact on it? Yeah. And I think the things that you've talked about are, are things that people can do. There yeah. are little things that people can do. What I would recommend is just to sit down with yourself for five, ten minutes and to say, what are my skills? So in my day-to-day work, I, I'm a lawyer or I'm an accountant or I'm a mm. fundraiser. Mm. What skills do I possess? Yeah. And get in touch with your local organisation or charity you feel passionately about and share your ethos because there's hundreds and hundreds of humanitarian charities in the UK that would be work aboard yeah. for whatever cause and you know we're, we're talking about humanitarian but whatever the cause may be mm. I think how can I add value yeah. to this organisation yeah. I think that's a good starting point and then from that can flow several possibilities I'm sure if you get in touch with organisations they'll be able to invite you and tell you what you can mm. can do but also uh, you can continue campaigning and lobbying um, because obviously a lot of these decisions that are made are political. There is genuine importance of having that political impact because mm. I know people are hesitant sometimes to talk about politics because you know it's, it's a taboo subject but mm. actually all of the great changes in history in yeah. some form or another you know have been they've been underpinned by, by political, political change, change haven't they? Absolutely. Whether you look yeah. at uh, the women's suffrage movement for example yeah. or you look at civil rights issues in America in the 60s mm. every issue behind it there is some sort of political activism yeah. I think that should be encouraged and I think it's a human issue and one thing that I wanted to get across I perhaps haven't at this stage is these are not just moral arguments mm. of why we should be helping refugees but it's also about the economic issue yeah um, it's better as the world becomes more globalised mm. to have prosperous nations around the world a world where there's less suffering is a world that's better for everybody yeah so, Ismail Muggle, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you very much for having me. So, there we go. A big thank you to Usman Muggle for his time, passion and energy. I really enjoyed speaking with him and I hope that I'll speak with him again soon. We talked about the jungle in Calais, uh, the large refugee camp which has now been demolished. I hadn't thought how negative uh, the connotations of the term jungle are for those refugees and how dehumanising it is to really refer to them as living in a jungle when essentially it was a camp they had put together um, as a huge group of displaced uh, refugees and I think it goes to show how easy it is to buy into the messaging and the rhetoric that the media spin and uh, and I don't think that's very healthy so I won't be calling it the jungle again and uh, I hope that you'll consider the same thing um, Usman talks about getting behind the numbers and meeting the individuals behind those numbers and he certainly did that in the project work that he did and I think that's so vital to understand the problem rather than looking at it from a numbers point of view, a statistics point of view but also in terms of actually building the empathy with other people. I think for any charity workers it's probably the same and I certainly know that you know any charities that I've worked for going in and actually seeing the work that we're doing and understanding the lives of those people we're helping is really vital to keeping that passion going and, and helping us to, uh, to do even more to support those people and um, it can be very effective in, in marketing too of course you know if you're talking about 10,000 people a million people those numbers aren't as meaningful as talking about one person and their challenges, their hopes, their dreams. And I think we're all looking for the same things in life. I believe that more unifies all humans than separates us. And speaking to Usman and his experience of helping 
these refugees uh, was really a reminder of that for me. So it's just left for me to thank you, dear listener, for your time. Please do get in touch and let us know what your thoughts are. All of our contact information is on our website, charitychat.org.uk. A big thank you to our sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksumit for beautiful website design, charitychat.org.uk, RR Yard Photography, also for their photos on our website, Pro Bono Photos, really lovely, and uh, Frost of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right this minute. So uh, it's just left for me to thank you all and speak to you soon. Cheerio. Cheerio.